Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and or back to the Equithery Podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese. We are back, baby, with the continuation of my conversation with Adele Shaw of the Willing Equine from last week's episode. If you haven't listened to part one, you probably should. And if you looked at the title and you saw part two and you're like, I'm going to listen to this anyway, it's not going to make any sense because we refer back a lot. So make sure you listen to both if you want, you know, or you can just be confused or like kind of know what's going on. But I, I do recommend listening to them chronologically, these two episodes, but none of the others. You can listen out of order if you want. Anyway, um, yeah, it's it's really cool. I enjoy the conversation. It's it's very good. It's a good conversation. And I, I think we touched on a lot of really great topics, seriously. Like we we went all over the map and I hope I hope it's a relatable conversation and it's fair and that you guys uh, like either learned something or just felt seen, heard, or gave you some new ideas on communicating and working with people as well as working with the horses. Cause I think sometimes we get really wrapped up in how we treat the horses and the training there and forget how that might apply with human learners and how to interact with them. Even if they're not a client, just applying the same rules and principles of the least intrusive, minimally aversive Lima hierarchy that we referenced so many times that I just realized that neither of us explained it. It's L-I-M-A, Lima hierarchy, uh, least intrusive, minimally aversive. There's a really great graphic. You can Google it. You'll find it immediately. Um, and I'll probably link it in the show notes on my website, so you can look at it there if you need. Uh, but yeah, so... I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I have recorded two outros and two intros for this episode. So uh, I'm a little bit lost on what I've already said and what I haven't said. And I'm a little bit brain fried because I feel like I've been recording for four hours. So I I have, am so enjoying it though. Like it, I, it's a good tired feeling. Like I, I feel like I'm, I'm back podcasting, especially having done my first interview back. Like, well, not really interview, but like conversation with another person. And I got new equipment, bro. Like I didn't say that in the last episode, but like I had to go out and buy a cable so I could plug my phone into my audio interface. I did not figure out how to have her hear me through my mic, but <laughs> that is a problem for another day. Anyway, I hope the audio quality is better than in the past when I've just like set my phone near my mic. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. There will be a ton of links in the description for you guys to check out regarding all of Adele's work and everything that she's doing, as well as my stuff and whatever you you need to know. Okay, so check it out. Enjoy. And I hope you guys are having a good day. Okay, let's get into it. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the Equifury Patreon. By becoming a patron at one of the three tiers, you automatically become an Equifurist. As one holding this holy title, you may simply monetarily support all things Equifury content creation as every little bit counts and it goes a long way toward making the show better and science-based training and management education more accessible. Or alternatively, you have my permission to reap the sweet benefits to which you now have access. Those decadent benefits include supporting the show, Jill and the Horses. That's me. It's third person, first and foremost, of course. But also discounts in the Equithery store, Patreon exclusive swag, which is a fun word that they use, which is a mug and a sticker, but you know, your questions dubbed as those with a highest priority for podcastual response 
and access to the members-only Discord server, where you'll be able to join a community of like-minded equestrians, vote on topics for upcoming episodes, share your triumphs, get advice when you get stuck, and access to all of the beautiful sciencey minds of other trainers. Best of all, you get to join in live monthly meetings. During these meetings, you can ask as many of your training and behavior questions as your heart desires, plus get access to custom curated resources and meet fellow like-minded equestrians who are more than happy to talk horses for hours on end. Seriously, they go for like four hours. It's absurd. But beyond all of that, you also now have access to my eternal gratitude. (laughs) And if you aren't into the whole monthly subscription thing, you can choose to opt for the discounted annual subscription, or you can join for a month, cancel after it. You'll have lifetime access to the Discord server at the Equitherist Light tier, or you can just keep listening to the podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. I make a little bit of coring that way, so like, just keep doing that works for me. But for serious, if you're interested in joining, you can just click on the link down in the description or go to patreon.com and type in Equitheory and become a member today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We, we had discussed potentially pitching the bad shaping plan. So do you, do you want to do that maybe? Um, sure. Yeah. If you want to run with that, because I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. So I'll let you start with it and I'll pick up. Well, Adele, I emailed it to you. I know, I know I have it right in front of my face, but I, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to figure out how you want to yeah, talk I, about it. God only knows we're going to try though. Um, okay. So the uh, shaping plan, right? Uh, the very simplified one that I have in front of me goes over the ABCs of training that your mm-hmm. antecedent behavior consequence, antecedent being what happens before training behavior being the what the animal does and the consequence being your reinforcement punishment operandi part um yes. so antecedent being how you set it up what the environment's like um the cue and also also we could even look at distant antecedents as far as like how's the person feeling that day mm-hmm. you know what environment are we already in are we looking at like it's already a hostile environment well that's a you know what i mean like we, there's right. a lot to that is it a million degrees outside and making people <laughs> angrier? <laughs> yeah. And uh, one one thing that I have listed here also um, under the antecedent category is the positive reinforcement trainers um, and the way that they come across online. Because this whole thing's mm-hmm. kind of about sharing and teaching positive reinforcement online um, mm-hmm. just to make it a little bit more specific. Because both of us, I mean, like if we're working with people in person, I mean, outside like kind of the professionals that you already work with um, Mm -hmm. who are not voluntarily willing to go through your woo-woo indoctrination, (laughs) but um, the people that are voluntarily working with you have probably already drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, but uh, Mm -hmm. online is where you're kind of on that open frontier so that's that's where i thought we might focus with the the wild wild west yes with um so so that being our setup of the positive reinforcement trainers how they um interact as well as the consideration of the audience goals so as a positive reinforcement trainer um 
and somebody that wants to at least, at the very least, my goal is to create intrigue and to allow people that are like me that grew up training in a way that didn't feel super right to them and not knowing any other way how to work with their horses to at least have another option on the table that if if they so choose to work with horses in this way that it's there and you know you can you can choose that and you can choose to work with your horse in that way um and then but also having to consider the audience's goals because a lot of times you know it's like the concern that people shared with me was that oh I won't be able to ride I'm not going to be able to compete it's it's all or nothing I have to do positive reinforcement or not which we already discussed no baby out with the bathwater keep that baby in that bathwater <laughs> um, <laughs> but don't drown it don't stay traditional um, <laughs> no flooding <laughs> uh, what a pun Adele <laughs> um, but that also that it takes too long to learn or to teach. And, um, you know, I'm going to be honest, I had a train of thought and then <laughs> you discussed flooding babies and I'm sorry. <laughs> I was on such a roll. Um, yeah. So I'm going to have you take it away. Cause I, my train of thought hit a brick wall. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, man, that's a lot. I'm trying to like gather my <laughs> thoughts here because <laughs> you just like, here is all of this. Yeah. There's so many different aspects mm-hmm. to it. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> all <laughs> over the place with a lot. Sometimes it's like really fast, like 30 seconds of good information and then like 15 of just nonsense. <laughs> it's hard to keep the, the brain engaged there. Um, no, that's okay. So Oh, I did remember you know, what I was going to say. Sorry. Oh, go ahead then. Go. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, it's actually a compliment to you. So I'm glad that you uh, allowed me. Uh, in the last episode that you just had, what was it called? Uh, I think it was Ethical Business yes. Practices. Yes. Practices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were talking about competition. And mm-hmm. I thought you made a really interesting point about that. And um, I, I had written this out this outline before I listened to that episode, but you made a good point that like a lot of times competition isn't something that like kids really care about in the beginning. Like they, Uh and if they do care about it, it's because generally their friends are competing or they see other people doing it and they want that cool factor. Um, but if, if perhaps that were removed and we lived in a vacuum, I don't think that that is like the end all be all it's, Uh it's typically parents or that, societal expectation goal post moving situation that creates that like oh I need to be competing whereas most kids uh, I mean at least me before I knew about competition were very happy to go to the barn and ride around bareback and brush their horse and not do a whole lot else other than just like look at them and admire how awesome and soft they are like <laughs> and do you have another hour for your podcast because like that is a huge because um, my brain just went to like okay what's reinforcing about competitions let's break it down oh god <laughs> to, to me like it was it was reinforcing because I saw my friends going mm-hmm. and we had community while we were there I mean oh my gosh this place that I went had the worst but also the best uh grilled cheese sandwiches and I don't yep. know why I chicken still on a stick for this. me <laughs> yes exactly and so every time I went to the horse show I had my grilled cheese and we all had this time where we'd sit around and eat our disgusting but amazing grilled cheeses get Fridays and off of school 
Fridays off of school, my my trainers were always proud of me when I got the blue ribbon kind of thing. Even my if you did bad, always... it was like the first time they were nice, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, mine were mean, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but my mom would take off of work or whatever she was doing and come with me. So I always had parent time then. And so there's so many aspects that are reinforcing about competitions. I don't know that it's actually about the blue ribbon. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so uh, there's so much that we could be we that when it comes to competitions i'm not against them i love competitions probably for those aspects and those good memories and all that and i do like the ability to like check my training and kind of have those that running baseline that i'm working you know to mm-hmm. you know whatever but I can recreate that in a different way um, with a different type of competition. And I talked well, about that in the episode. Here's the thing. Um, I, you just made this click in my brain for some reason. I've never thought about this way before. Uh, in undergrad, I, I majored in psychology and I took a, a course on motivation and read this mm-hmm. book by Daniel Pink called Drive. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, super good book about motivation. So much so that after I returned it to my school, I bought it (laughs) because I was like, I want this book. Um, and he talked about the, the problems you encounter shifting motivation from intrinsic to extrinsic. So while you're talking about like what the blue ribbon's not super reinforcing and I'm, I was, I'm going to be honest. I was thinking about something else. I've been staring at trees for a really long time. So sometimes I'm listening, sometimes I'm not, (laughs) but, um, the, like riding and competing because most people at least as an eventer most people don't go to a show to start they go school cross country they mm-hmm. spend time doing dressage at home and show jumping in the arena at home and then when you go to a competition then you have validation and others eyes on you that you're you're seeking that approval and validation mm-hmm. from getting the judges you know the praise your friends your <laughs> yeah. trainer your coach the ribbon your place your optimum time all of that is now the external validation for what you're doing where before you were doing it because you enjoyed the sport and you had fun just doing the activity mm-hmm. it was intrinsically motivating and then it becomes about all this other stuff so for me what's funny is when I switched positive reinforcement and stopped competing I really don't have a whole lot of desire to compete, but I also don't really have a whole lot of desire to like spend a bunch of time riding or like jumping or doing any of those things because when it shifts from doing it for the sake of doing it to doing it in order to obtain something, it it's it almost it's almost like a poison cue maybe and maybe I'm being liberal mm. with with that word but like or that phrase but like it it takes away how it works. Like the example used in the book was that uh, they brought kids into a room and had them color. And these kids are like coloring, coloring, coloring. And then, um, you know, the next time they bring them into the room and have them color, they pay them for coloring. And then the next time they bring the kids in the room, they pay them for coloring. The next time they bring the kids into the room, they're like, okay, you can color, but we're not going to pay you. The kids don't color because now the activity has shifted to extrinsically motivating and they will no longer do the thing that they used to enjoy doing without that external compensation for it. Um, so so I, I wonder too, though, and I, I've watched his TED Talks. I, I've not read the book, though, so I'll be clear about that. And this is an area that I don't like. I don't think I've watched a TED Talk, so <laughs> go, go <laughs> um, off. Heads together. But I'm wondering, too, if it's not so much about external versus 
or sorry, yeah, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, but also, or and also, is shift and reinforcer. Is it right. hard potentially to, like going back to your riding example and the competitions and all that, like before you used to ride because you loved riding and you loved horses, then you enter the competitions and now it's all about getting to the competition and now we're trying to shift it back to riding just for the fun of it, being around horses just for the fun of it. It's a little bit more intrinsically reinforcing potentially, or it's a different type of reinforcer that doesn't have like such a definitive, like blue ribbon stamp on your forehead. Like there's right. a little bit more ambiguous reinforcer that's happening over time and yeah. it's hard to shift. And I've definitely experienced that myself. It took time. To I wonder shift my reinforcer. Yeah. I wonder if that's also like, somewhat relevant to like that made me think of um you know like in other parts of the world uh their their food isn't as sugary or doesn't have as mm. many like uh for lack of a better word addictive properties as yeah. we do here in America um so like for me I'm a major sugar addict like I have a, a problem like can't eat a meal without n having a sweet tooth that's like almost <laughs> insatiable on the backside and like so I wonder you know, maybe it's, I, I don't know, I'm off on a tangent that I haven't explored, but mentally, that like, once, once that reinforcer almost changes or becomes like, I don't know, like, it's so high value. But I don't even know that a ribbon would be high value. But to keep my one train of thought here, like that, initially, like a strawberry would satiate that sweet tooth. But then now it needs to be 17 chocolate chip cookies. Um, so like, I wonder if I've changed. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. You're like looking for more, like more. Yeah. You need a well, stronger like... hit. So to say, <laughs> I was trying not to use like an, like addiction <laughs> reference, well, but potentially, I mean, I can see that. I'm also wondering too, though, if it's perceived value of mm -hmm. reinforcer too, when it comes to like going back to what we were talking about with the writing, because this comes like that, this piece of paper I'm looking at in front of my face um, about the shaving plan and all that, you know, you have there with the audience's goals um, or most, like a lot of equestrians goals is, you know, some of their doubts that they have is they can't ride and compete or it's all or nothing or it takes too long. Okay. What do all three of those things tell us? <laughs> they tell us that the reinforcer is getting to ride and compete and that it looks like they're either not going to be able to do it. They're not going to be able to access their reinforcer or it's going to take too long to now get their reinforcer again. So we're with, it looks like withholding, right? We're withholding that mm -hmm. reinforcer. It's from withdrawal. Them or, yeah. And there's no tangible, clear, like obvious way that they're going to be able to access their reinforcer again. If I were On the surface, with, I would say yes. once yes, you yeah, start it. Initially. Yes, initially, they're looking at a brick wall going like, well, shoot, now I can't get over to the other side mm -hmm. to get what I want. If I were looking at this um, from a shaping plan perspective, when looking working with a horse, if I told this horse, you know, here's your food, here's your food, here's your food. Now there's a, you know, now it's gonna be really hard because you don't know how to do it uh, to get this food over here. I'm gonna see a lot of frustration, a lot of extinction behaviors, a lot potentially lashing out. Um, a lot of just different things are going to come up all of a sudden to the surface. And I may see some behavioral fallout that might be really unpleasant or dangerous or whatever. And I think this is where we get into like social media, like hostile comments and stuff, mm -hmm. um, that kind of behavioral fallout. Yeah. So if we look at, you know, the riding and the competing as the reinforcer and being able to do, it could be other things too. It could be, I don't know, 
uh, there's a lot of different things people could look at as reinforcing, but I think as horse people, we've been largely raised and conditioned to look at riding as like the ultimate reinforcer, especially competitions. Like if you have a competition horse, you know, they have more points on their whatever. Anyway, they, they have higher value, mm-hmm. like a lot of value is put on competition, like just competition, competition. And we don't breed horses that haven't been competed, which is okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just, <laughs> no, again, breed more. going, <laughs> I'm just going to try and push that point of competition has one of the highest values in the horse world. And so why if we is look that? At, is it tertiary? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, staying on track. Come no, on, Jill. Let's not, do this together. What's reinforcing okay. that? Let's explore that rabbit trail. <laughs> yeah, right? So if we keep in mind that this is like a really reinforcing aspect and we've grown up thinking this is the most reinforcing and if your horse isn't being ridden, it's a, what all the terminology, it's a pasture puff, it's a lawnmower, mm-hmm. like it's just being a pet. Like it's just all these kind of like kind of sometimes really direct and also sometimes really subtle derogatory kind of references mm-hmm. towards horses that aren't being ridden. Um, it's really no wonder that people <sighs> get really hung up on the idea that it might take them a while to get back to riding or that maybe their horse might choose not to be ridden. That sounds like the end of the world. And trust me, I've been there. Um, uh, yeah, same. And I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking like I started out this podcast like defending and like going ahead and giving disclaimers about how little I've done with Zoe because I feel guilty and bad. Like I'm not being a good enough horse person because I'm not back riding her yet after her (laughs) kissing spine surgery. And so I'm like, I, I, like I don't, it's crazy that I do feel bad for just allowing her to be a horse when she looks and like appears healthier than she's been in a very long time, having just been turned out for like two years and yeah. she doesn't seem particularly interested in doing a whole lot of anything. I mean, I'm sure she'd be down for clicker training if it were on the table. But, like, even then, it's like she's like, okay, 20, 30 minutes? That's cool. But I also could kind of take it or leave it. And Yeah. Um, and I think every horse is a little bit different, too. And, you know, I have seven personal horses. And <laughs> I've got... That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> um. A couple of them are ridden, meaning they're learning ridden behaviors, and we ride sometimes and we don't ride other times. And you know, it, it we I love it. I love spending that time with them, but it's also not the basis for our relationship. And then I have a couple. I'm a lot of my other horses are not ridden, and that's okay. Again, it is not the basis for my relationship with them, and that has come from switching from. And this is just kind of my analysis of it. I have switched my reinforcer about being around horses and being with horses and having horses from I need to ride that's my reinforcer or I need to compete so initially it was kind of this transition it did like in phases I went Mm -hmm. from okay I can give up competitions but I still need to ride okay and then it went from and this was the hardest one um I may not be able to ride this horse and is that going to be okay with me is something else going to be reinforcing about being around horses and so basically rediscovering that initial joy and passion for loving horses as horses and appreciating them and not needing to take something or have something from them. They don't owe me anything. And this is a whole nother topic. No, I mean, it's, it just, it sounds like what happens when you blow out your dopaminergic serotonergic systems and you are so used to getting that like, 
I don't know, mega hit of mm-hmm. nicotine. Like mm-hmm. I, I've talked about that. I had a minor vape addiction at one point. And yeah. um, you get to a point where you need more of it or you can't, you don't get that same feeling. And with competing and being a competitive horse rider, now you're at a pretty high dose. You know, I'm not, I'm not equating them in terms of it being yeah as harmful as addiction though yeah, arguably yeah. maybe um <laughs> for the we horse. do some pretty sketchy stuff <laughs> yeah yeah um but and just to keep the metaphor a little cleaner um please don't read between the lines um <laughs> it's going back to what was initially reinforcing for you i was perfectly fine living my life without nicotine uh, until I started doing little baby nicotine and then more and more and more and more until mm-hmm. I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to breathe in a couple of years. <laughs> so maybe I should oh, not no. do that and stopped. And then it was uh, quite a while of like getting my brain and body reset and back to like, okay, we are good and don't need that thing. And I was perfectly happy and content before and could even be happier now having a renewed appreciation for what it's like to breathe <laughs> and not get winded all the time for walking. But um, the same, I think, might apply to being competitive with horses that maybe you can go back to where you started with a newfound appreciation and then take it in a different direction that yes. um, you can go back to that simplicity and then build from there while having that appreciation. And it, I don't think it necessarily means that you never have to compete again. Uh, I think in the current climate of the show world, yes. But mm. you can still ride and you can do the competition things. And I know like Miss Steph K Equestrian mm-hmm. has got the Tex competition um, mm-hmm. and that is ramping up there. And so um, there's... yeah. And there's some other trainers too. I know for my, it's just right now exclusive, exclusive to my Academy members, mm-hmm. but I run twice a year shows and we've also got horse agility. That's really friendly to what yeah. we're doing. Um, there's also potentially some Liberty competitions. Like there are other types that are growing. I'm not, they're not hundred percent there yet, but I agree with you. I don't think it totally means you need to like scratch competitions um and i writing is absolutely possible possible with positive reinforcement mm-hmm. what i tell people because i i ride all the time now maybe not as much as like when you think professional trainer you're probably thinking like i'm clocking like seven hours a day in the saddle it's not like that because i do a lot of behavior consulting and a lot of stuff on the ground mm-hmm. cooperative care stuff all of that but i am riding and we thoroughly enjoy that i'm working on advanced riding behaviors under saddle and on the ground as far as like in hand stuff um but again, that's not the primary basis for our relationship. If they got taken away tomorrow, I mean, it would be sad, but it's not the end of the world. I'm not going to uh, shrivel up and die. Um, but yeah, the, um, I was going somewhere with that and my brain just went woohoo. Um, Mine did too. Uh, my, <laughs> it's a strong uh, breeze I, from <laughs> Texas. <laughs> what I was going to say is, is that what I tell people is a lot of times what they're seeing when they all of a sudden see people stop riding. So they switch to clicker training and all of a sudden the riding stops is because one of the primary reasons people consider switching over to clicker training and positive reinforcement is because they're dealing with a lot, right? Their horses are either like 
um, my mare Tiger, who, you know, she was blowing up under saddles, super dangerous, and nothing was working. And so I had to start over from scratch. And I did ride a little bit, but eventually I had to stop and restart from the beginning. Yeah, and I believe yeah, your like, answer to what put you on to positive reinforcement was desperation. Yes. Yeah. And so a lot of people are transitioning because of desperation. And so what that means is their horses are likely packing around either a lot of physical problems or a lot of behavioral trauma. And so they, or both, (laughs) and usually it's both. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they have to start over, not completely over all the time, but they, it takes a long time, right? It's not going to be this like, we took a break for a couple of weeks and we're back to our competitions. Like, no, it's looking like years. And And a lot of it can be management issues too. So sometimes you got to wait on like, like if they're having chronic hoof problems, the Mm -hmm. uh, diet change to cycle through or Mm -hmm. a couple massage therapy slash chiropractor, body work appointments, things like that. Like, and also a lot of what happens with positive reinforcement when you start, you're like, Oh wait, this is like really, really fun. And I'm having accidentally more fun doing this than I was (laughs) fighting with my horse. Who's was constantly trying to break my jaw by hitting me in the face with their neck and, um, also digging spurs into their side or hitting Hitting them with whips or just cranking their faces down or just like the general yeah. attitudes that you have sometimes when and, and it's not it's not that all traditional writing is bad or puts you in this headspace or it's no. just this terrible thing. But I do think that there's something to be said about the mindset that you have when you are writing traditionally. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not something that you can really help because you have to inherently be looking for what is going wrong and correcting it. Rather than in positive reinforcement, you can approach it that way, but you are also like really looking for what, what can I reinforce what is right without Mm -hmm. holding an aversive, um, Mm -hmm. or withholding something. I mean, I guess you are withholding the, uh, food reinforcer, but like, if you're doing it right, you shouldn't be really, but yes, I understand what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, especially in the beginning, there's a lot of that, Yeah, but, um, yeah, well, so to add to that too is I want to say, and this is just to kind of put it out there, um, with a young horse without baggage, and maybe it's an older horse without a lot of baggage, uh, meaning physical trauma, behavioral trauma, the process to starting a horse under saddle, if you're an experienced clicker trainer, is relatively straightforward and doesn't take a long time. It's a couple of months to get those first rides under saddle with some basic under saddle cues and all of that. Um, and then it goes from there and it, it, what's really cool about it too, is if you've done your homework, right. And you've done the training right from the ground. Once you get in the saddle, it's like easy breezy, like no problems. I can't even tell you how much easier it is to start horses this way than how it was before. I I think that that is, is also a problem that, uh, we encounter on the, the better shaping plan of approaching sharing and teaching about positive reinforcement online is that you're like, okay, great. That works for your super calm baby horse. That does Mm -hmm. not work for my, like pure child of chaos over here that that breaks fences every 30 seconds and like that wouldn't work for my horse and like that that's that's kind of the problem that we encounter and I I know that this this is on the flip side for some of the more soft uh negative reinforcement trainers this is something that I hear Warwick talk about on his podcast that it's like people don't believe me that the horse is having problems and is like seriously a danger to society because when I work with it I cover my bases and then we don't have problems that doesn't come up and um we it just kind of takes care of itself because we've a 
dressed and shown the horse the way all the yes. way along. And Good training's boring. Yes. And it doesn't look crazy. And I actually have a horse I'm working with right now. I'll give you background for super, super fast, like two sentences. Um, <laughs> she, I got called in because she was uh, literally like attacking people, not mm-hmm. like she was attacking people. We would have a barrier between us and she would come at me through the fence, trying to take the fence down. Like, Did you film this? <laughs> no. Film oh it. my gosh. I, no, this was a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, She's just like a normal horse and and I never triggered that like I I went back to where it wasn't triggered I built it up I showed her what I needed her to do instead I put everything on start buttons and stop buttons like it doesn't look exciting like I actually Mm -hmm. posted a video of her not too long ago talking about this and I can't tell you how many comments I got like a dangerous horse what are you (laughs) talking about I'm like of course she doesn't look dangerous because I'm doing my right. job You right. think that horse is dangerous? God, yeah. what a weenie. These positive reinforcement people are such weenies. Oh, I'm and, so mad I didn't get a before video. Yeah, <sighs> well, that's. I guess that's the part about uh, the better shaping plan is you have to maybe sometimes be like, hey, owner, can you show me what's going on? And yeah, can I, I didn't want to put her through it. I know, yeah, that's, I know, that's the problem with being ethical is you're <laughs> like, no, wait, I don't actually Gosh, want you to it. trigger the bad behavior first. Chill, why do we got to have, like, be trying to be ethical? Okay? I don't know, it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Okay, wait, let's go back to the shaving plan. Yeah, I was <laughs> also <laughs> just about to redirect. God. I hope you listeners are appreciating this. We're getting tired and loosey-goosey now. That was 40 minutes ago. We started the shaping plan and have not even broached a. (laughs) Oops. Um, Okay. So, so talking about setting up the antecedents and, you know, creating shaping plans for effectively helping people understand what we're doing and helping build that curiosity and hopefully get them to take those first steps into exploring positive reinforcement. That would be the ideal consequence, right? The outcome. So antecedent behavior consequence, ABC. So the antecedent being, like you said, the arrangement, how it's all set up, the behavior being the actual thing that the learner does, whether it's a horse, a human, a dog, a parrot, doesn't matter. And then the consequence, which a lot of people associate that with like a negative thing, like emotionally negative, but a consequence just means outcome. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, one plus one equals two. That's the two is the outcome. And you can't say A, B, O. That doesn't, it's not as catchy as A, B, C's. So yeah. Consequence. A, B, C. So, um, man, my thing just shut off on me now. I don't see the notes. Well, (laughs) we're, we're talking about like the, how it goes, how it goes wrong. How it goes wrong. So when it's wrong, so when we set up (laughs) antecedents poorly, what that can look like is like you have written down, you have like um, shaming and gatekeeping and guilt tripping. And I see this a lot on social media, unfortunately. And I don't think this is just isolated to the clicker training community. I see it in a lot of other communities too. I have different clients that have different professions and it's in all of them. Like I have a client that does, um, as a professional therapist and I, all of the same stuff surprisingly shows up in that community too. And yeah. it shows up in the dog training world. It shows up in pretty much everywhere. It's a but human we, issue. <laughs> yeah. It's a human issue. And some of this comes from us projecting, you know, our guilt and our self shaming. Right. So mm-hmm. we hate how we used to do things and now we're, we're, 
we're just like really negative on ourselves and how we used to do things. And now we're also being negative and shaming people that are doing things the way we used to do it. It's almost like we're treating them like our past selves. Yes. Yeah. And and, and getting uh, evangelical about it, like you said earlier, where you're just like, okay, well now I've seen the light and I'm gonna, I, I have to bring everyone over to it. And if you don't want to join you're just a lost lamb. <laughs> yeah. You need to be saved. Right. And uh, yeah. No. That self-righteous kind of patronizing yes. culture. Um, and it's, it's so, it's so, it's not an ideal learning environment, right? So how are you going to expect people to even consider change and even consider learning something new when we're setting up the classroom uh, mm-hmm. to be a terrible learning environment oh we've got like it's little johnny sitting in a chair right there with the everybody around him is pointing at him and being like no johnny that's terrible and how dare you get the wrong answer and just like on and on and on and also like johnny must learn algebra on his first day at school like of course (laughs) nobody wants to learn or try because the culture the setup is so poor right for that learning right and we're not going to get um, the outcome we want, which is moves into that next section of the behavior, right? So we got the antecedent, which is that poor classroom, that terrible setup classroom. Then we've got the behavior, which is that poor Johnny shuts down, he starts crying, or he gets angry and starts lashing out. And he's like, I can't do this and storming out of the room. And we mm-hmm. do that a lot in response to the poorly set up antecedents. Um, Actually, yeah, so the storming out would be all that. And then the final consequence would be that then this, I mean, I'm kind of open to what that might be, but it might be that they turn around and start talking poorly Mm -hmm. about clicker training and positive reinforcement. They start um, talking about how it's terrible training and the people in the community are terrible. So they never want to try it. And so that's also another part of that consequence, right? They never come back to the classroom. I think it's, it's very comparable to why vegans get a bad rap. Mm -hmm. Um, I have known many vegans in my life uh, and you will not see them harassing people on social media because they are doing it because they believe it's right. And they're confident in that and they don't need to like preach to other people about it and but a lot of people hate vegans because of the loud minority on social media that are telling you that you are like the antichrist for eating meat or having leather boots and there are some clicker trainers that are like that they are very few and far between at least in the horse community because we're all like I think we've all started to learn, like, you better be nice to people. (laughs) You're going to get, like, really exiled. And also, I think it took, for at least me, it took um, a hot second for me to realize that was super against my values as a Lima clicker trainer, that I'm like, I am not treating people the way that I want to treat the animals that I'm advocating for, and that's super Mm -hmm. not fair. And, um, and I mean, why, why would they want to like your audience, why would your audience want to even explore clicker training or consider it or give it a shot or ask you a question about it if they're having all of this emotional mental fallout, um, which goes back to the what I have written in the B category for the behavior is that when you do all of that shaming and guilt tripping and you gatekeep information from people that are trying to learn and you're self-righteous and you're like 
just like, well, if you're not doing it this way, you're wrong. And also you're abusing your horse. So you're kind of a terrible person. You should probably just sell your horse. Um, and like, what, what else are they going to do? And the people that are open to it might have a more vulnerable response, which is the, like being like, I'm afraid to take that step because I'm afraid to fail. I am, I'm overwhelmed and I'm confused. I'm all of a sudden I've been abusing my horse for the past 10 years when I didn't think I was, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to, what was right. That's just how you train horses. And then like all of that guilt and shame when I was talking about the two paths an hour and a half ago, I think, um, (laughs) that like you can choose to take. And so, I mean, it just, it, it becomes this whole emotional nastiness mess at least it did for me. And it it all happened very quickly. Like when people Mm -hmm. would comment that on my Instagram or my YouTube, I'd be like, ew, go away, block, like leave me alone. (laughs) Like, or I would be like, you tree hugger, you like sensitive, you know, a tree hugger is really the best word. Like that is just a treat lady. You just leave me alone. Go feed your horses treats. I'm going to do the real people business. Okay. I'm going to do the real horse person stuff. And, um, I think when you just come at it like that, instead of, um, you know, I really don't even know that like reaching out is always the best approach. Occasionally, if I see somebody in a group that's like, you know, maybe like I'm new to horses and I'm struggling with this, I'll be like, Hey, you might check out positive reinforcement. That might help you. Um, (laughs) or like somebody that's like my horse is struggling with the trailer and I'm, I'm at a loss. I don't know what else to do. I've tried this method. I've tried this and no amount of beating will get my horse into the trailer. What do I do? I'll be like, you might explore positive reinforcement. I have some links on my website. If you want to check them out, take it or leave it. And then I don't look at it ever again. And, um, you know, I mean, like, And I think that's probably like, if I were to say, how should you reach out? Because I'm not saying that we should all be silent and like quiet and like never talk about what we do. Cause then, you know, we have this opposite side of things where (laughs) when we're first starting to explore or even later on, we become really self-conscious about what we're doing. And it seems like there's two spectrum, there's two sides of it. There's the people that are kind of screaming it from the rooftops and yelling at everybody. And then we have the people who are just like afraid to say anything and are just like, leave me alone. I'm, I'm doing my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's okay to be a voice on social media and it's okay to share. Well, one, I think if you're going to share what you're doing and we'll just kind of put this in here as the uh, the section of the podcast where we talk about what would be a good thing to do on social media, mm-hmm. which would be um, share, sharing what you're doing. Um, be, be, um, aware though, of your expertise level. Uh, this is something that I'm, uh, I, um, I just encourage people to be careful trying to teach other people when they don't have the expertise level to be able to do that in a safe and yeah. effective way. It's so very, not... very hard not to, yes. um, because uh, like I said, this is the catalyst for the podcast and I, I, I don't know if they'd want me to mention it, but I, somebody that I'm friends with on TikTok, they, um, I, I saw them posting a lot of great content about, um, you know, just educating people about positive reinforcement. But then I slowly started seeing it like being videos responding to negative comments. And then there was a lot of them and then it started Mm -hmm. being more antagonistic. Um, and then one day, which I'm so like proud of them for this video, they were like, 
I realized that I actually don't have to be the one that's like carrying positive reinforcement on my back. And I, I don't have to fight everyone about it. And if like, I just, I want to post for me and my people that care about this, but I'm not going to like engage with the negativity, even though it gets views and you accidentally get positive reinforcement from that. Um, (laughs) like you, it's, it's not my job to teach everyone and I'm not that far along and I'm starting to get to a level where I feel uncomfortable where people are asking me questions I don't have the answer to. And I have also been there and it's very daunting when you're like, Oh my God, because I started this podcast wanting to just like help make it more accessible for people. Mm-hmm. And uh, then all of a sudden people were like, okay, well, my horse does this. What do I do? And I was like, yeah. well, I have some ideas. And then it just kept going, which honestly was good practice for me, but also probably in the beginning, not super ethical of me, even though I was doing it well-intentioned, you know, that I probably shouldn't be giving advice before I'm fully confident on what I'm saying and how I might approach the situation. Um, I think that's tricky because if you wait until you're confident in sharing the information right. um, and you have that expertise level, oftentimes what comes, what happens is that you start to have that expertise level, but then you lack the confidence. And so then it kind of flip-flops and it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's a problem to offer people, like if they specifically come to you asking for ideas or help that you have been primed and placed in a spot mm-hmm. where this person is like looking for help, and has is asking for it and it's not going to be confrontational they truly want your advice i would offer your um i would offer some suggestions and then i might also add here's some more information on this and also i might reach out to these professionals Mm -hmm. just because i'm not a professional and these are just my ideas and that just primes them also understanding that the person that they're reaching out to for help does have limited experience, but is willing to be there for them and be a support system for them. I think that's fantastic, especially yeah. because a lot of times the, um, the the professionals, the people that have been doing this for a long time, don't are not quite as accessible, unfortunately, as much as I would love to be access- accessible to everybody. I can't. Um, we heard so the love- list. <laughs> You're doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's really good. And this goes back to that small community, right? The building your little group of people that can mm-hmm. support each other. I think that's okay. I think that's healthy. And actually there's some research behind it that says that sometimes the best person to learn from is the person that's one level above you. So, um, yeah, they just, old, like- they just figured out how to get to the next level. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's accessible. sometimes for us, it's more far removed. Like I'll catch myself being like, oh yeah, that needs to be put on stimulus control. Yeah. Not realizing that I probably need to explain what stimulus control is and then having to back <laughs> up. And I, th- I think, I think that's what, what you're saying to get to the better shaping plan that to be accessible, but also to be honest about what you know but mm-hmm. still accessible enough that people can come to you if they have a question. And, you know, sometimes it's less intimidating to ask somebody if we're talking on social media that has yeah. lower numbers than somebody that has a bigger account. And mm-hmm. you're also probably more likely to get a response. And yeah. so you can start there and build and learn more and grow. And and then you're setting up this this community where, like, what was so cool about me reaching out to you and everyone in our WhatsApp group was like, I suddenly had a bunch of trainers at my fingertips of varying different expertise levels that were all very, very willing to take a whole lot of time out of their day to explain things to me. And I was willing to do the same whenever I had something to offer. 
And that was not something that I had experienced in traditional training. It was all very like, mm-hmm. hush, hush, you better know it. And if you don't, you're shamed for it. Like I, I remember getting embarrassed as hell at like 11 for not being able to explain to Jim Wofford what a half halt was. And, Cause oh, I didn't no. know. I didn't know. I didn't know what half halt was at 11. I know. I just, I just, when my trainer said half halt, I just kind of like halfway asked for a halt, <laughs> but I didn't know how to verbalize that at 11. You're like half. Halt? Right. Okay. Like you, you like go to halt, but then don't. And he was like, no, <laughs> stupid, <laughs> wrong. And so, I mean, oh. like, I think it's, it, I, I don't know. And maybe it, it's just my cultural pocket that in the traditional world, like I could always ask my trainer something, but there was a little level of like, you should already know that. Yeah. Or, no, and I mean, I think that exists in the positive reinforcement world too, to mm. some degree, but at the same time, like we were all very happy to help each other learn and explain things. And I mean, I started a whole damn podcast because I was like, more people need to know about this. And it's kind of hard to find solid information on it. So I'm also going to make a website and curate a ton of freaking information about it. And like, I just, I think once you get in that, you're like, yeah, I want to do more. I want to help educate and share because you, you fall in love with that teaching aspect of it. And I am on a ramble, catching myself. Yeah, no, you're good. (laughs) And I think, and there's that fine line, right? There's the fine line between being available and open to answering questions and sharing what you do with confidence without overstepping your experience level, right? So um, there's that kind of side of things, which is fantastic, beautiful, great. And then there's the easy, easy step over to starting to shame people and, gatekeep and start um coming off as a little bit self-righteous and like all that and i see this a lot um particularly on tiktok is where i'm seeing this the most but i do see it on other platforms too where people are uh, duetting other people's videos and whatever and calling out all the things that are bad and i know the intention there is to educate but unfortunately the if the person didn't ask to be educated they are not open to learning right and and then all everybody else sees, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people, what they're going to see um, is you, the person doing the duetting mm-hmm. and all that, um, just calling somebody else out and, and being really negative and using a lot of basically positive punishments. And it's, uh, it's, it doesn't, like you said, it's not meeting the same standards that we are working to meet when we're training our horses. But Adele, that's not good content to be nice to people. Come on. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how infuriating that is that good training doesn't get good views. And also um, nice people being nice doesn't get good views. And and my pictures are so boring now. I'm on the ground with a horse instead of like jumping four feet. I'm like, how do I make interesting content? And you know what is really interesting, the difference, um, because that's, this is something that I noticed on Twitter. Like a couple of years ago, I couldn't be on Twitter because I was doing positive reinforcement and Twitter hated that and thought it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But now it's shifted to where if you don't do positive reinforcement on Twitter, you're the idiot, which is so wild to me because it's literally been like two or three years. Like it has not been long. And um, and Instagram is kind of the same. But um, TikTok is even more so That's the same, my theory but different also. I think what happened was that we kind of pushed out all the other training on Instagram. We pushed it all out with our clicker training stuff. Yeah. And um, in Liberty, that was another big one, all the Liberty mm. hashtags and all that. And now it's all gone to 
TikTok, and I yeah. honestly I can't scroll TikTok for my mental health. It's it's quite terrifying. Well, the 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 trick to TikTok is just don't be on horse TikTok. It's the worst. Yes. I yeah. I got on it for like a hot second, and I every time I saw a horse on my TikTok, I scrolled so fast. I was like, I don't want to be a part yeah. of this. I give props to the troopers that are out there commenting and watching them. I mean, uh, you're but adding engagement, also- but. <laughs> Yeah, that's also, that's part of the problem too is, okay, so you comment on it and say this or that, but you just fed the algorithm if it's, and and then you watch the video and you just fed the algorithm, you share the video, you just fed the algorithm, like we're just feeding this shock value content, what I try and do, and I don't know that it's working, but I want to feel like it is, so I'm trying, is I just go to the people that I follow and I will you know, every, you know, week or so or whatever it is, um, just kind of go scroll through the recent stuff and like and comment on it. So I'm trying to promote mm-hmm. the stuff that I want to see more of. And my, um, they changed, I think they just changed it, but it's like the for you page or whatever. Um, it's all non-horse stuff. Like I have like organic farming on there. And oh like yeah. Mine's all kinds like of stuff. DIY crafts and a, like yes. a whole, whole lot of cat videos, like an absurd <laughs> amount of cat. I am literally like the definition decided you're the cat lady yes i'm a major boomer where i literally just watch cat videos on my phone all day but like it's it's so serotonin and cat tiktok is rarely bad every now and again there's a cat in a bathtub that can't get out and the owner's making fun of it while it's screaming for its life um, because it is too obese to jump out of the bathtub i understand (sighs) why it's kind of funny but also it's sad like very sad sounds like a video you actually saw it is like yesterday (laughs) or this morning Um, and i i didn't read the comments because i was like i feel like a lot of people are fat shaming this cat and I just, I feel sorry for her, him, (sighs) them. And uh, yeah, so anyway, what on earth are we supposed to be talking about? Um, Shipping plans. I don't know if we followed what you wanted to talk about, but we did talk about the I told you we were probably not going to follow it or even get around to it. So I'm proud of the work that we have done. Um, done a lot of work. We've we've circled back to it a couple of times. And from what I understand about meditation, it is not about how many times you forget that you're supposed to be doing it. It's that you remember that you're supposed to come back to it. So are you comparing recording this podcast to meditation <laughs> and or mindfulness? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, it's just a, like really bad ADHD training. I think that I'm like, Oh good. I remembered, but I don't know that I'm actually reinforcing myself at all. Um, or are you kind of like jokingly shaming yourself? <laughs> Don't like, call me out on my own podcast. It's I'm so sorry, rude. Sorry. <laughs> but, okay, how about this? Let's go back to the main quote. If people don't like you because of plus R or positive reinforcement, that's expected. If people don't like R plus plus R positive reinforcement because like of you, all the things. that's a problem. And where that was coming from, just to kind of sum up the whole thing, was that if you're going to explore this, or if you already are, or if you're way deep in, it is normal, unfortunately, for people to shame us for it and to make all the comments like, you're just doing it for the treats. Like, I get those every day. Um, mm-hmm. That's literally why at the beginning. You're right. Good one. <laughs> yeah. And- we are aware. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that is normal and that happens and it is not because of you you didn't cause that it is just it's part of cultural conditioning it's part of a lot of other aspects there's a lot of going into that right that we've talked about through this episode but 
the problem arises or the problem arises when people actually turn away from or you know just write it off write off clicker training positive reinforcement whatever because of some sort of interaction with you and you're not helping as much as you want to be helping or or trying to help um and it's it's creating an unideal learning environment and actually punishing yeah. the um the behavior that we're wanting to see where we're sitting here going we want this behavior to change we're actually punishing it and then we're surprised right <laughs> and we don't get the outcome we want I right? do I do think it's a fine line because you you can't I mean the the learner in the situation is not somebody that is in your your control yeah, in your vacuum course. willingly so I do think it's a fine line um, and worth saying that, like, if people are turning away from positive reinforcement because of you, you should probably have a hot moment of reflection and self-evaluation. But it doesn't always, I mean, obviously necessarily mean well, that you're pushing them away. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean, and that, you know, those little two little sentences are very mm-hmm. <laughs> condensed and there's a lot packed into them. Um, I'm the queen of caveats. I'm like, but yeah. also, and wait, yes. and. Yes. <laughs> There is a lot more to it, and I wouldn't, you know, put all of that weight on yourself. We just, the whole idea is to talk about maybe what are some things that we are doing that could potentially be turning people away, and what are some things we could be doing instead of those things to encourage more of the behavior we're looking for. But you are not that person's only interaction, Mm -hmm. and you are not always or solidly or solely responsible for the antecedents that that um, interaction happened in, because I can have... I've had so many conversations where I tried to come at the conversation in a very kind way. I was very open to answering questions, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And it didn't go well. And it wasn't because of anything I did. I reflected on it. I even asked some people sometimes if I feel like maybe I wasn't sure what happened there. And they're like, no, that wasn't you. And then sometimes it's very rare, but this does happen where later on, sometimes it's a couple of years later, I will re-interact with that person again. I'll get another opportunity to interact with them and they will be coming to me and they will be like, you know, that interaction we had a long time ago, I know it didn't go well. However, it really planted a seed and I just was in a really bad place then and I wasn't willing to do this or that. And you were really kind of, I was being confronted and confronted with a lot of doubts and whatever all the other stuff going on was. Sometimes they're not reacting to you. They're reacting to that like, uh oh, what have I done? Oh no, 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 no. And or it's a yeah. hundred degrees outside and they're more yeah. prone to being angry. Uh like we I, all are in the South right now. <laughs> right. I mean, I've had so many interactions like that with several different uh people on Instagram that like were all up in my DMs and like very angry at me for switching and or just even incorporating positive reinforcement and um like got into so many arguments with people that I was like pretty close with before and then um you know like you said a couple years later then all of a sudden we're like homies again and they've come around on it and are incorporating it or use it full time and um it's just that like it's not always about you but just I think that the point would be to create a scenario or a conversation where you can walk away confidently that 
that was an interaction that might have at least piqued your own interest in the yeah. thing. It was non-confrontational. You were open. You were willing to hear. You were willing to explain kindly and avoid guilting and shaming people. Like if you can check those boxes in an interaction, in most cases, I think that you're probably good regardless of how the person reacts. Response. I think it's just, yeah. it's really, really, really easy to fall into the shaming, attacking defensiveness. And I mean, honestly, I would just be like, if you feel yourself getting into that or making those videos, um, like reevaluate, see if you can do it differently. But if it's like hurting you like that, that one TikToker that I was mentioning that was like, I can't, I don't want to do this. This isn't fun. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to do this. I just got sucked in. Yeah. Um, but, there. <laughs> but I, th I do think that you could probably make duetted videos and capitalize off of somebody else's um, like a uh, click worthy video of a horse flipping over with a saddle and then explain, <laughs> just post the video and do edit and then be like, so positive reinforcement, <laughs> just not acknowledge the video, but get, get your own clicks from it. I feel like maybe that's, that's a marketing strategy, perhaps. Maybe. Um, <laughs> just make, make the horse's suffering worth it in some way. Oh gosh. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right approach, but, um, you know, regardless I'll to keep it positive and to, to yeah. make it a welcoming, good place, good community to want to join, you know, I think it's, you know, you're just kind of accepting some responsibility. Um, like you're, you're acknowledging your part in it, right? It's not entirely about you. It doesn't even really have much to do with you. It just, ha you have some part in that, um, that person's kind of journey and how they're exploring things and whatever. And just kind of looking at that part of it, evaluating it. Is that an interaction that would have been valuable to you early on in your days or would have that right. turned you away? You know, all of that. For me personally, I kind of have some guidelines that I've um, continuing to adapt, but they have been serving me well recently and I'll kind of share those and you guys can adapt them how you want. But I make a purpose of not letting a conversation move into an argument type. So I mm -hmm. will avoid and stop any conversation that is changing into an argument. So we can have a conversation. We can pass back and forth ideas, but as soon as it starts to even remotely step into an argument side of things, I'm out. And I will just say, you know what? That's okay. You do, you, I do me kind of thing. Have a wonderful day. Like it, right. there's no shame in that. Like let it go. Um, and they will respect that a whole lot more. Anybody would respect that a whole lot um, over continuing an argument that's not going anywhere. And the other thing I do, and one of the reasons I guess this really ties into the argument side of things, is how I tell it's turning into an argument, um, or even really whether it's not, is I pay attention to how I feel internally. So if I'm not coming at this conversation, or if I read that comment and instantly my blood kind of boils, or I get a little bit anxious, or I can feel my heart rate go up, or mm -hmm. I start to shake my head, or my eyes roll, <laughs> or whatever, I will either respond with a pre made comments like a canned comment that mm -hmm. I have written off like um something to the effect of please read my other comment threads and check out this resource like you yeah. can respond with that to a comment about how you're using treats there's nothing wrong with that um and then if I can respond in a kinder way or whatever or I don't feel like I'm getting worked up or anxious I try and re stay in that kind of and this is me as a professional um teacher mode. So if this person was looking at me face to face and was asking me a question about treat training or whatever, about how many treats I'm using, can I respond to this person as I would that person facing me 
directly, like standing in front of me and I was in a lesson with them and I was invested in their future. If I can't respond to them in that tone, with that mentality, with that intent, then I don't, I'm not going to respond either right then or at all, or I'll respond with one of those kind of canned comments. Yeah. Um, And those are kind of just my guidelines. That's how I approach it. And that helps me. And if I'm going to respond to other people's comments or other people's posts, um, I follow the same kind of rules that I apply in my academy, which is that unless I ask for help, I don't usually offer it. Um, I might, however, if it's somebody I've been following for a while and they follow me and we're kind of, we're mutuals, whatever, I might say, hey, um, I have some ideas about this if you're interested, or um, I might privately DM them and be like, hey, I saw your recent video and I was curious about this or that. Like, I'll ask questions. I start off from a curiosity, like, hey, explain to me more about what's going on, or would you like some help? Like, I'm going to I have ask received a few first. of those in my day <laughs> from you, being like, hey, <laughs> so me? I saw that video. <laughs> But, oh, I don't remember sending those to you. I mean, maybe you should tell me. How did you feel about those? I I, I was like, uh-oh, at first. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but also, like, oh, thank God. I, like, somebody who knows what they're doing can help me, you know. I Like, back in the day, there was a, that little bit of, like, still from traditional training being like, oh, I should have already known. But also, mm-hmm. like, to be like, okay, you initiated giving me your professional opinion. I'm okay with that. Um, and like using your brain when I'm hung up on an issue, uh, because a lot of times personal horses are blind spots for training for for some reason. Yeah, they can be for sure. And that's why I'm really cautious about it too, because I know it can come off as a little bit like, Hey, I saw something that I want to point out, but I'm also trying to be like (laughs) polite about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm very cautious with doing that. And it's with people that I know, or I know would welcome my suggestions or thoughts. Um, but I'm really predominantly, I just try and R plus the things that I want to see more right. of, or I like, or whatever, like all of my students that I follow on social media, I'm always like, anytime they share videos of their training or other trainers that I follow and respect, I'm like, like, comment, awesome job. I love this. You know, I'm just trying to do as much of that as I can, mm-hmm. because again, just like we talked about the terrible training, the terrible videos, the controversial ones get the most attention. And then people who are doing it well, and are doing it ethically and whatever are not getting near the attention that they deserve and need. And so it would be such a better use of our time, I think, to go out there and just like, okay, I've got 10 comments I'm going to give out today. I'm going to budget 10 comments. Where (laughs) am I going to place them? I mean, those are like little clicks and cookies. I mean, that's what it is. Well, and I think that that just goes a long way towards creating that environment where it's like you see positive reinforcement trainers, like, commenting and being really nice even to people that are not in the community but that are Mm -hmm. still doing ethically kind things or considering their horse's welfare like hey I really respect you giving your horse time off when they had this injury and going above and beyond for their care like that's great you know and not just like okay maybe 90 days like my vet told me after the kissing spine surgery I immediately got back on um (laughs) like it's I don't know, just, just being able to be that kind force. I don't know why the whole time we've been talking about this, I'm like, do we sound like a cult? Like, (laughs) like this is how you manipulate people into trying positive reinforcement. But I mean, this is just how the brain works and we have a negativity bias, right? People have a negativity bias and our brains hook onto the things that are bad. Like you remembered that one cat video that you gave me an example of was a bad one, right? Yeah. Couldn't tell you a positive one. Exactly. And so we have a negativity bias. And I think if we are just trying really hard to point out the things that we like, and I love that example of using it um, for people who maybe aren't even clicker training, whatever. I do that all the time. Like I saw a video not too long ago where 
this mare didn't want to be, um, she kept moving away when she tried to get in the saddle. And so instead she switched over to just spending time with her and hanging out in the round pen. And I was like, R plus, R plus, R plus, mm-hmm. like amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like reinforcing people for going against the grain and being like, you actually put your horse first and that's really, really cool. And, yeah. um, and I think that there's a lot of attempting to put the horse first and it being kind of, um, misguided, but, uh, like, I also do think that it goes a long way. Like when I first switched to positive reinforcement, Kathy Sierra from, mm-hmm. uh, in trends now Panther flows, Panther flows yeah. sent me a long message on DMS and I will never forget that message because, and I, I remember where I was and I remember, and just like the conversation with you, you know, I mean, I remember those things. They stick out so hard to me because they, they were so kind and so unexpected because like Kathy just randomly messaged me out of nowhere and was like, hey, I know what you're doing is hard because you have a big eventing audience, but I really appreciate what you're doing. And I think it's great. And like, this is going to make things different. And I was like, uh, 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 <laughs> like just confidence boosts through the roof and like so needed yeah, that. You know, what's cool about that. I don't think I've ever shared this with you. She reached out to me too around that like talking about you making that switch and so we were uh, I think a lot of different people were like this is so exciting and like let's all like we all need to just support her so the whatsapp group was just a manipulation tactic no uh, (laughs) no this was before whatsapp (laughs) this was on instagram yeah but no it was just other professionals other r plus clicker trainer people i mean and kathy and i don't do everything the same but we support each other right yeah i mean i we're all just banding together to be like yes more let's yes keep going jill like awesome well and i i i was peripherally aware at the time that the reason that I probably got a three hour phone call with you when I first started asking questions about it was because (laughs) if you converted me, I would be a very loud voice in the community. Um, and I don't know if that was your intention or not, but I did think about that. Um, and not that I'm like self-important, but that, that number did exist at one point. Now it's slowly falling because I don't Uh, jump anymore, um, (laughs) as often, but, um, yeah, I mean, like, I do think it's really cool. I don't know. I saw a, a bigger Instagram account at one point um, posting about maybe trying positive reinforcement with a horse that they were not, like, super sure about riding because it was having some issues going under saddle and being competitive. And a lot of the comments were like, oh, my God, yes, do that, do this. And, oh, cool. like, tagging me and um, being like, check out Jill stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I've got, like, three people that, like, ride for me hard on Twitter. Like, anytime <laughs> somebody has a, uh, like, a, a behavioral question and they're like, my horse bites me, what do I do? There are three people <laughs> that are, like, consistently, like, check out Jill's resource page and, like, just promoing my website for me, which is, like, really cool. the best ever. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, like, I, I think it's just like having that community that like wants to be helpful and positive and like a lot of what can happen on social media is that like, oh, you're bad because your horse bites you. It's a reflection on your training and how awful you are and, <sighs> uh, or that your horse doesn't like you because your training's bad. Um, and I, I'm I gonna, just, 
Shouldn't. throw this in there and it cracks me up it's like as soon as an r plus horse does anything wrong it's all of a sudden a problem with r plus but i can't tell you how many traditionally trained horses well-trained horses by the way mm-hmm. um bite or buck or refuse fences or anything yeah Maybe but they're just whole... they're just mares or they're just oh, red yeah. and um i'll tell you my positive reinforcement trained horse has the worst ground manners ever because i haven't trained them to be better like i just have been I haven't worked on that. So Zoe is very pushy. Yeah. No matter how, what type of training method or approach you're using, you do have to actually do the training. Right. And like, that's like with Zoe, the one thing I never really worked on with her was her ground manner. She's always been pushy. I've worked with that horse from three years old to now she's 10, I think, or 11. And she's so pushy on the ground. And everyone is like, this is the rudest horse ever. And I'm like, yeah, I probably should work on that. Um, <laughs> not only that too you've got a, such a long reinforcement history for it now too so it's gonna be even right. harder <laughs> and I just don't feel like working on it right now and I, know, I haven't as long as she stays with you you're good right yeah no and well Within and reason. and the fallback is sunny and sunny like birthed her so she, she's also very aware <laughs> um but yeah so I mean that's something that is on my to-do list but you know how personal horses go mm-hmm. um so it's it's not always that your horses are a reflection of the training method. Sometimes it's just that you're not a very good trainer. <laughs> it's not the method. Um, and I don't you're think... You're not very consistent with right. the training. I yeah, was going to... I yeah. knew you were going to correct me for that. Well, not correct, but <laughs> change the statement. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm a bad trainer either. I just think that my personal horses tend to get neglected, especially when Zoe it just kind of has a take it or leave it attitude about training. Whereas anytime Azula sees me, she whinnies at me and I'm like, wow, who am I going to pick? I'm going to throw this in there for anybody else that has similar horses, because I know there's lots of them out there. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of that's coming from her learning history, whereas Azula doesn't have that. Right. Zoe probably still feels some conflicts around people. For sure. And so part of her brain is screaming at her that it could be this other way. And then some of her is saying like, well, my newer learning history tells me that she's pretty awesome. But also, Mm -hmm. yeah, and I mean, have that. I mean, Zoe looks at me. She does not run for me. She'll walk up to me on occasion, but it's she's very happy for me to walk up to her and hold my hands in like little cup shapes and let her Mm -hmm. rub her eyes on my hands and let me scratch in her ears and on her forehead and then she's done and then she'll walk away and I'm okay with that she's okay with that and like I I talked about it in a a couple episodes ago where I was like I think we just kind of did what we needed to yes I know if I take the treat pouch out there she'll be down (laughs) like she's Mm -hmm. she's all about it but she's not like begging for me to interact with her all the time. She's very content to be in the field being a horse. Azula, on well, the other hand, thinks she's a lap dog. And if I call her, she comes running across the field and she just is down for whatever. Like you said, because she does not have that aversive history with me, she does with other people, presumably. But, um, you well, know, and there's, there's other aspects to it as well. You know, some horses are more physical than others. Mm-hmm. Um, Azula's also two and doesn't have kissing spine or arthritic hocks. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
to I want to run with that comment about if you took the training pouch out there she would come and I know I can just hear people going like well yeah you have food like she wants the food um yeah we have to remember that from a trainer's perspective like I teach people this all the time there is a start of session cue and a stop Mm -hmm. or end of session cue that I train all my horses to do and part of that session cue is putting my treat pouch on or training pouch on and and taking it off and I do this on purpose because I want my horses to know when we're actively doing a structured training session versus when I just want to spend time with them and we're just going to hang out Mm -hmm. and all of their personalities and like their different we could call it love languages whatever kind of come out Right. In that just spending time with each other. Some of my horses love to be scratched on. Some just want to just sit there with me mm-hmm. and just kind of sleep and be together. And one of my um, rivers, a good example of this, she will come and like, I'll sit in her pasture and she'll just stand over me and she'll fall asleep. And we'll stay that way for like an hour. And that's, she loves that time together. We do that together. We really uh, value that time together. However, if I were to get up, walk out, put my training pouch on, she's alert. She's right. we're doing this. We're doing our training session because I just gave her a very clear cue. Uh, it's like a green light, right? Go. Mm-hmm. Like it's time and to it's, go. It's time to work. And- right. It's not even about, I mean, like, yes, the treat and the primary food reinforcer is a huge part of it, but it's also the opportunity for enrichment. There is learning that happens. They get to use their brains and horses are foragers. They like to explore. They like to investigate. They are very cognitive, like cerebral animals. You know, Mm -hmm. they, they like to think and explore and create those new neural pathways. It feels good. And Mm -hmm. so like, why not also have that when there's food available? And so, like you said, they get really like, oh, okay, we're training. And like, to me, having the treat pouch, which I'm glad you caught that because that definitely does sound like, oh, it's just for the food. But also it means there's an opportunity to earn reinforcement. Food is available all the time because the food that I'm using to train is not much higher reinforcing than the grass. It's, um, oh my God, I always forget this word. What is the word for wanting to work for food over not? Oh, contra-free loading. Thank you. Oh, my God. I, I always think it starts with a D. And I always get comments yeah. with people being like, Jill, you're thinking of contra-free loading. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> um, I always forget it. It's, like, it's the one word that I, for whatever reason, remember. I don't remember a lot of other things, but that one I do. I'm going to have to write it down like a bunch and commit it to memory. Yeah. But, yeah, like it's it's that I, I would rather work for it. Like Zoe gets alfalfa in the morning and in the afternoon and would still be happy to walk away from that to come work for the alfalfa pellets and yeah um, and I've it's, even seen examples of this where you put loose hay on the ground and then you put hay in a hay nut and they will choose the hay in the hay nut over mm-hmm. the loose hay on the ground and that's contra freeloading they're having to work for that reinforcer it automatically adds value to that reinforcer because they had to put effort into it it's more interesting yeah and um and when you don't have a whole lot of interesting things because you're a horse that lives in confinement <laughs> I mean like that's you take what you can get and so um, there's some arguable deprivation there <laughs> at play, but well, uh, this is where Lima and humane hierarchy come in and trying to do ethical, you know, mm-hmm. there is a lot. And I think people get really hung up on the treats and the clicker and they forget, or they don't even realize the level of work that goes around ensuring that my horses and like, particularly how I am training, I'm thinking of, and I know you do too. And all the people I teach. I am trying to set them up for as much choice and to make it as ethical as possible. And that means that they have enrichment daily. They have forage 24 seven, the food that I'm working with, they have freely available at their feet. You know, like there's all of these safeguards Mm -hmm. that I put into place to make sure that they are 
actively doing it because they want to, not because they feel like they have to. Right. And I think it would be different if like Zoe didn't have access to alfalfa or grass or hay all day long. I mean, like they get, I said they get alfalfa twice a day, but it's like, um, we have really, really, I think like 50, no, 50 pounds isn't a whole lot. Um, what is the big bales? They're like, Oh, they're really gosh. big. They're like they massive, really massive bales. Like one flake per se is mm-hmm. equal to four regular three strand bale alfalfa. Like it's huge. And they get several of those flakes dispersed in the field. So they have it for like all day. And then when they start to run out, it's dinner time and then they get more. So um, it's it's not a, a deprivation situation, but they do get it twice a day. Um and see, so I'm gonna, Queen of Caddy. I'm gonna have to. <laughs> I'm gonna say this probably this last thing, and then I gotta go because I Me hear too. my kids and my husband. But um, I have to pee so bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I wanted to say before we close out is, I know I was just listening to you talk about the 24/7 forage and all that, and I said it too. And I know immediately some people will go, "Oh, well, I can't do that, so therefore I can't <laughs> do it ethically or whatever." Um, I encourage you because I'm not gonna spend the next half hour explaining how we can work around this, but I encourage you to reach out to a professional, whether it's me or somebody else or Jill or anybody. Um, there are ways to help and to work around this and do as best you can. And nobody starts off perfect and there's no such thing as perfect either. I'm constantly working to improve my horse's living situation and how much enrichment they get. I said they get enrichment every day. That's like when we're doing good, there's definitely times where that mm-hmm. doesn't happen. Um, and there are things that I'm not able to do right now that I want to be able to do. Like I want to be able to offer self-selection minerals and I can't do that right now. And so there are things that I, as much as I'm doing, you know, I, I have free kind of choice of what I do and how I do it. I'm still limited. And it's been many, many, many years of making it to this point in small decisions on a daily basis and learning right. and growing. And it and is okay help. if you can't do yeah. it all. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I don't have the ideal setup yeah. that I want out here. And uh, th- my boss doesn't have the ideal setup and she owns this place. And we're we're always trying to move in a positive direction. And we're not always yeah. able to meet the horses like every need. Like we want our fields to be bigger. We yeah. know we don't have enough room or we have too many horses and we're trying to get the numbers down. We know that we don't want a like grain based diet. We want forage based and we're working on that, but we have a bunch of different horses with different needs. And so like trying to figure out feeding, like it's, it's all moving in that direction. But I think that's, what's important. I mean, obviously don't give up and be like, Oh, that's good enough. But like the, the intent and that follow-up action, I think is what matters more than necessarily the end result in a lot of cases. Yeah. And, and, that goes into such plays really well into the whole shaping plan and the um, tying it back with antecedents and um, and gatekeeping and all that. I think it's on Facebook. I see this a lot. I see it on other platforms too. But um, two sides of it, as the trainer, as the person that is going onto those forums, whatever, and trying to encourage people please try and make sure that your wording and everything is encouraging progress, but not saying you can't do it unless you do this kind of thing. Like that's, that's just shutting people down. Cause if they feel like they, it's not possible or literally it's not possible to do, then they're like, well, I'm not even going to try. We're moving on. Right. And then from the learner's perspective. So from anybody who's trying and learning and growing um, and just making progress forward. That's all we can ask for, like he said. And and that's what we should be asking for is just progress. Um, 
try not to let the few people that come at you with it, well, it has to be 24-7 forage or else you're unethical and blah, blah, blah. Um, try not to let them shut you down and make you feel like you can't do it. I have worked with clients' horses that can't have 24-7 forage right now just due to certain situations, and we just do the best we can, and we're making progress. Um, other situations, too, not just with forage, but yeah. just keep trying making steps forward doing what you can and enjoying the process and having that relationship together um and, pri and prioritizing um that is like the, the main goal of that relationship with your horse yeah. and just learning and growing together and making progress and find that community to support you when you're yes. having those like oh my god i feel like i'm not doing enough have that community yep. to like keep you going um mm -hmm. is super super important um yep but yeah, I think, I think we have covered about all that we can with this two and a half hour uh, conversation. But if there is anything that you would like to plug, um, I'm going to put all your links in the description and uh, probably promo you before you start talking um, because okay. God only knows who's actually going to listen to this end portion. But if you have anything that you'd like to leave the listeners of the Equitheory podcast with um, or anything you want to promo shout out, go for it. Um, yeah, I just, the uh, best way to reach me is through the web, my website, which will be linked, but it's the willing equine.com and mm -hmm. you can find me on all the social media platforms through that same name. Um, and definitely don't hesitate to reach out. If you have questions, I do my best to respond to all DMS, uh, and emails and such. Jeez, you're and a trooper. I used to, I, <laughs> I try <laughs> ran out of now, time. I, I will put it out there that if you DM me a complicated training question, I am going to refer you to my consultation services. Mm -hmm. um, um, this is my business this is, how, is how I eat. And you don't have to justify. <laughs> I know because I have, to, I do it all the time. I'm like, I feel like I need to over justify asking you to pay me for <laughs> doing my job. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, just community and I know my foundation course is opening right now. I don't know when this podcast goes out, but um, next Tuesday. Oh, perfect. So yeah, it'll only be open for about another week when this goes out. Okay. Um, so hopefully I see some of you guys in the foundation course and talk to you guys over social media. And I think that's about it. Oh, and feel free to tag me in stuff that you want to show off and any training that you're doing and want to like and comment. <laughs> yeah, I will like and comment. I will R plus it. <laughs> we want to promote that. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Adele, for joining us on the podcast. It has been a pleasure and uh, you have officially uh, gotten me back into doing over two hour episodes. So. Oh, great. That's uh, I'll add that. that to my resume. <laughs> <laughs> but alrighty, Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All righty, guys. Wow. <laughs> I am back from my pee break. <laughs> I, that, it was a long one, let me tell you. Um, also, this episode was long. It was two and a half hours of me chugging on my water and didn't consider the potential repercussions. Um, but what a great episode. I, I hope that it was somewhat coherent. Uh, I love talking to Adele because we communicate very similarly and it's all over the place, but we follow each other <laughs> really easily. So, um, like I don't have an issue with it, but I hope that you guys were able to follow it and, uh, glean some cool topics from it. Uh, you know, like I said, at the beginning, we started out with a rough outline and just kind of 
let it flow organically. And I tend to think that those are the better episodes anyway. So I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Please be sure to check out all of Adele's links and information and give her some positive reinforcement on the socials. Uh, And I will catch you guys in the next one. Bye. Bye.